is everyone doing this morning? Okay, I don't, I need some conversation back, some amens. If you at any point feel like you want to jump around the building and get your praise on, I'm good with that. <laughs> so how are you this morning? That's better, that's better. Um, I think, I think I'm the last one doing the hashtag for this hashtag series. And today, what I'm covering is mental health. <laughs> you guys got to give me an amen and a shout. Woo, yeah, that's better. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to be talking about mental health. And um, mental health is a very large subject. It's a very big subject. There's a lot of variations um, and a lot of opinions and a lot of thoughts and a, a lot of ways that people view mental health. And a lot of times it's dependent on environment, on your culture, on where you live as to how you navigate mental health. But it is a big subject and it's a subject I'm very familiar with. I've spent a lot of time doing a tremendous amount of study and research really over the last 16 years, studying patterns, studying behaviors, mindsets, and observing people, and obviously, you know, walking through a lot of it myself. Um, so it's definitely something I care deeply about. Um, I'm glad that the church is finally starting to talk about it because for a long time, the church was really tight-lipped when it came to the issue of mental health. And it's been interesting just kind of getting a refresher on how people talk about it because you really have two trains of thought, two main ones anyway. And the first train of thought is this is a disease, this is something you're always gonna struggle with and you have to find ways to cope as best as you can um, with meds and things like that. And the second train of thought is this is your responsibility you have to overcome it. You have to get over it or change your mind or whatever else. And Jesus is kind of in neither camp because Jesus is a God of victory. And when you understand that you do things out of a place of victory, you can overcome. But he's also not in the camp of you do it yourself because he wants us to rely on him. You know, we, we hear quotes, oh, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. And that's not biblical. Life often is more than we can handle or we would not have mental illness. But what Jesus wants to show us is he is also the God of mental illness and he can help you navigate it. And I'm going to get heavy into scripture because we're becoming a generation that doesn't know the word. So when the enemy comes at us, when the world tells us how to think and how to feel and how to do, we do that instead of going to the word of God because we don't know the word. So we're definitely going to dive heavy into scripture. But I want to basically base this in sort of two or three sections. I want to talk about what mental illness is and then how and what the things that cause mental illness. And then I want to dive into different sections of overcoming mental illness. Are you guys okay so far? 
like several other people before me, I'm not going to claim that I know everything about mental illness. I know a lot about it, but I don't know everything about it. There is so much with it. And I'm going to probably say things that are going to step on your toes, that are going to make you uncomfortable. Um, but I'm doing it from a good place because I have a real passion for seeing people free. And I'm sick of seeing people in, in situations where they're always barely making it. And they're just surviving. That's not how God intended us to live. So if you have a, a problem with the things that I'm saying, you can just uh, message the pastor. <laughs> um, but so just a few things. And, and in light of this subject, you know, a lot of mental health issues come from trauma, 95%, and I'll talk about that a bit later. But as much as people can wound you to severe degrees, people can also heal you. And that is what the church is here for. You know, we have to get better at talking about what we're dealing with. The Bible says confess your sins so that it would heal you. Confess, talk about what's going on so you could find healing. Sometimes you got to talk about it a couple of times until you start moving into the position of being healed. And as the church, we have to be open and understanding and kind. Sometimes Christians can say the worst things with someone who's struggling with mental health. Oh, just get over it. Or we can make blanket statements. And maybe we mean it from a good place, but we really got to be people who are wise, who are compassionate and understanding. And if you're so someone who struggles with it, you cannot expect people to know if you don't talk to them. And you can't get mad at the church if they don't come and help you when you're shutting them out. So we have to come alongside one another and extend kindness and patience. How many of us, when God was beckoning us to himself, did we obey and respond immediately? He had to be patient with us. He had to love us in our pain, in our brokenness, in our anger. So we as the body have to open our hearts to extend the same grace to people, and everybody's process and journey looks different. Amen? Amen? <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to dive in. So what is mental health? Mental health is the foundation for emotions, for thinking, for communication, for learning, for resilience, and self-esteem. Those things make up our position of mental health. That's the foundation. One in five people experience some form of mental health. And most people will go through some sort of mental health issue at some point in their lives. One in 24 have serious mental health and one in 12 has substance use disorders that results in mental health. There is this lie in our culture when it comes to mental health, and there's, there's sort of two veins. 
So we, we love to label. So for somebody who looks at life through the lens of a victim and poor me and always blaming, when somebody gives you a label, you take that label on and you're like, well, this is why I'm like that. And you kind of give yourself a free pass to be and act and do as you are because you have a mental illness. And then for somebody who's over, uh, um, someone who takes responsibility, when you get a label, that actually helps you because you make sense of things and you understand and you can then navigate your way out of it. And the train of thought right now that we see culturally is um, we're a very social media driven world, so we only post our highlights. And so we feel like if I am having anxiety and depression and stress and suicidal thoughts that something's inherently wrong with me. And this is a lie. It is normal for us all to have moments of darkness, of depression, of stress, of anxiety. And in the Christian world, we like to paint a picture of the moment you say yes to Jesus, you should never struggle with these things. This is a lie. Everybody struggles with it. Not one person in this room will go through life never struggling. The other lie is that every time we have these things, we must have a mental illness and we have to medicate immediately. So I want to destroy and dismantle these lies about mental illness or mental ill health, I should say. And really, mental ill health really began in Genesis. It began with the fall. The moment that man questioned God, he opened up his life to the enemy. And then the first moment we really see it is when Adam hides away from God and he starts covering. And he now feels shame and he wants to cover and mask. And we see self-worth being attacked in this moment. And how the enemy comes, his tactics have not changed. They are true then as they are today. The first way he comes into our life is he puts us in a place where we start questioning who God is. Did God really say? Look at what's going on. That's God. He starts coming at us in that, mo in that same way. And he still does that. And when we agree with him, we open our lives up to havoc. And so I want to talk briefly about what causes mental illness. And there's really four key things. Number one is trauma. 95% of mental illness comes from unresolved trauma. You were not born with mental illness. This is also a lie. You don't have a brain that is formed in a specific way that has, um, and, and they used to do this a lot in the 80s and 90s, and they would show two brains, one brain of a normal person and one person, one brain of a person that is depressed. And see, your brain was born with the wrong chemistry. That's scientifically not proven. I would recommend that you search out and do your study on neuroplasticity because God has wired us to change our brain by the way that we think. This is why thought is so important, and I'll get into that. So no person 
has a death sentence of this is what you are and this is what you always will be. There's a lot that we can do when we align ourselves to the word of God. So trauma is number one. And what trauma is, because we've done some interesting things with trauma as a society. We've made things that are not trauma, trauma. And in doing that, we dismiss trauma. Like when the Me Too movement happened, a lot of it was good. But then you started hearing people talk about that person looked at me wrong. Oh, now I'm a victim of trauma. And I, I have worked a lot with trauma victims. And I worked at a place, and that was the debate. And the conversation was whatever I feel is traumatizing to me is trauma. And, of course, I disputed that heavily <laughs> because that's not the case. What trauma really is is when we're in a situation that is so terrible that our brain cannot handle what's going on, our brain freezes up. And we're stuck in a moment in time. So that is what trauma is. Your brain does something. It's a physical response. It's like having a head injury. So when you go through something traumatic in your life, your brain locks in that moment. And how we see it sometimes manifested is through mental ill health or through our reactions to things. Some of us have had trauma that we've never addressed. And we are addressing it by how we live our lives, by our reaction to things, by how we respond to things. And so with trauma, when we get locked in that moment, a lot of people who struggle with um, substance issues, they get locked into that headspace and that age that they had that trauma and they struggle to move past it. And so the only, the, well, not the only way, but the best way to navigate is to walk through the trauma, is to confront it and deal with the trauma. The second way is substance abuse, alcohol and medication. When we are taught as a culture to constantly numb, and we're always trying to surface level fix things that are deep and are internal. And we see that even with the whole, um, you know, gender thing going on. And I'm so glad we addressed that as a church. But again, we're externally trying to fix something that is a deep trauma wound that is internal. We're constantly trying to mask something instead of address the core root issue. And that's, what's, that's what um, alcohol and medication does. I don't believe in medication. It is not a way to heal. Medication will not help you in the long run. I have never met somebody who has taken medication and been freed. What it does is it locks you in that headspace and that cycle, and you are stuck there a lot longer. And I understand that there are times that maybe we need something. Okay, it's too much. I'm not going to speak into trauma because I understand, and I say it with just a lot of compassion because I have walked some dark roads. But the truth and the reality is that it is not something that heals you. 
it's a numbing solution. It numbs you. So it locks you in that space longer. And a lot of, I've heard a lot of people talk about it in a way, oh, this is how I'm getting my healing. But I have yet to meet somebody who has been healed and freed. It's, it masks and it numbs. And in the same way that alcohol does. And I understand, and I'm going to leave room and space for the few cases that it may help. But for a majority, it doesn't. It just masks the deeper issue and the deeper wound and the deeper trauma that needs to be healed. The third thing that brings mental illness is environment. It's how we grow up. The mindsets, the things that we witness, the things that we see that get stamped into our mind. It's the relationships that we maybe have been in that have brought tremendous trauma into our lives. And then the fourth thing is other. So I'm talking about all this because there's a, I'm going to leave a small margin, a tiny margin for unexplained, because there has to be room for that. Because there is just some things I don't understand. And I'm not going to come up here and say that I know and understand and have answers for it all, because I don't. And I wish I did. But what I do know is for most people, trauma and mental illness is not a life sentence. And I will never come on board with that philosophy and still believe in a healer God. You know, the Bible talks a lot, a lot about mental illness. I was, so, you know, and I, and I knew it did, but when I started putting this together, I started seeing so much. And, there's, and I'm going to do my best, I've, like even this morning, cut half of what I wanted to read because there's so much about mental illness in the Bible. God cares about your mental health because when you are mentally unhealthy, then you get locked up in this small world. The Bible says that the world of the generous gets larger and larger. Because when you open your heart up, when you open your wallet up, when you open your time, you see a lot more and your world becomes bigger. But when you're trapped in a small mindset and it's me, myself, and my problem, you can't go farther than that. Our world gets so small and we feel so powerless because it's all about me and my struggle and my problem. And Jesus wants to expand our lives. And that what the enemy does is he wants to destroy it every step of the way. So now that we're here, so these are the things that, causes, that cause mental illness. And what happens with trauma and with situations, it really boils down to our response to them, how we think and how we speak. We have this vortex, somewhat twisted therapy world. And I believe in therapy and counseling. And we have great therapists and counselors here. And I have seen therapists and counselors. So this is not negative in that context. But there are therapies with, with what we do with that as we come into that therapist's office and we talk about our problem. And we talk about it over and over and over again. 
And then we get medication for our problem. And we get numbed out for our problem. But here is the thing that happens. Every time we talk about our trauma, we resurrect that trauma and we relive it over and over and over again. There is a lot of money and profit to be made from your pain. If I can trap you in the constant resurrection of your trauma, you stay there for a long time. And year after year after year after year, we stay there and we resurrect it and we relive it and we keep going after the same thing. And every time we think about our trauma, we put ammunitions in our, in our gun and we have ammunition. And eventually, the more bullets you put in that with your thoughts, that thing is going to fire. And I'm not saying don't talk about it because there's healing in talking about it. We have to talk about it. And sometimes we have to talk about it for a long time until we start really addressing it. But there comes a point, and I realized this in my own trauma, is every time I would talk about it, it would put me straight back there. And, I, and it was like it was happening all over again. And I recognized that, and I'm like, I got to stop talking about this. I don't like how I feel when I talk about what happens. And so at that point, when we stop talking about it, there's a point that comes where we have to divorce ourselves from our trauma. This happened, but I am going to give this to God. I'm going to surrender it, and, I'm gonna, and every time I start talking about it, I'm going to make myself stop because I have to disconnect and disassociate from this pain and this trauma. That's what repentance does. Repentance is coming to God with your anger, with whatever it is that you're carrying, and you let it go and you surrender and you move in a different direction. We repent for the sake of our future because you cannot be stuck and move forward. You repent and you turn and you go in a different direction. And often the way that we know we have undealt with trauma is because we're reacting to things. You know, when you're married, it's never about the towels that are folded wrong. <laughs> we just are reacting to all this other stuff that we don't talk about and that we don't address. You know, there's a few triggers that I want to talk about, and then I want to get a little bit into the word, but there's a few triggers that trigger mental ill health. And we have to use wisdom and really study ourselves and understand what triggers us so we can create different patterns and changes because we're all a byproduct of our patterns and our thoughts. And the Bible talks a lot about as a man thinks, so he becomes. It talks about choosing life and death. It talks a lot about guarding your heart because from it, flows life. So if we're not careful in what we allow in our lives and the people we allow in our lives and what we watch, we're going to have a very troubled heart. And from that place, all this other stuff comes out. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, the Bible says. So there's so much that happens internally that we give expression to externally. 
<clears throat> so I would definitely strongly suggest turn off the news. Because there's a lot of people who are in high anxiety watching that thing. There's a lot of people who we have terrible people in our lives that every time we're with them, they bring us down to their level. We have to sever and cut those ties. We have to begin creating strong boundaries for the sake of guarding our hearts. I'm really, really, really weird about this thing in a good way. Like, I'm very protective of what I allow in my house, what I watch, what I allow being spoken over me, and I'm very mindful of what I say. Because I know that if I'm not careful with those things, that's going to suck me back into a place I don't want to be. And so a lot of things trigger mental ill health. Some of them are family conflict, relationships that are difficult, social isolation, substance abuse. Because, you know, when you're going through something and you're numbing out, when you unnumb, it's still there. <laughs> so it brings you deeper in a pit. So definitely substance abuse, problems at work or school, financial issues, loss of purpose, and self-worth. And a lack of self-worth. Those are the triggers. And we all have different ones. We just have to recognize them. And the one that I, I have to talk about that is really important is relationships. It's family. It's marriage. This is a huge trigger for mental ill health. And our homes are not meant to be a war zone. They're meant to be Eden. Our marriages and our relationships are meant to be a safe haven where we run to each other and we sort it out. Our children are not supposed to come home to a war zone that breeds mental illness in them later in life and trauma. Our homes are supposed to be a place where we work things out and we talk through things and we make plans and solutions. Why am I going to continue doing something that is wounding my spouse? Because in the long run, that's going to not just destroy my spouse, it's going to destroy my children. I said this the last time I spoke, but what we don't overcome as adults, our children are going to have to walk through and overcome. And you see it played out over and over again. There's a family drama, and it passes down to the next generation and the next generation. There is chaotic things and, and pride and arrogance, and you see it. Those kids are just the same as their parents were. You know, they deal with conflict in similar patterns. This, is, this passes on, and it's so important that we recognize that. And we are intentional about making our homes Eden, where this is my safe place. You are my safe person. We have a lot to conquer out there, and we have to unite together. I'm really intentional about that in my house. My home is Eden. My babies know that they can come to mom and talk to mom about anything and everything. I'm very intentional and in looking at them in the eye and hearing them and loving them. And when I'm sad, they know I'm sad. I don't hide 
that mom has bad days here and there. But I am showing them a mom who seeks out Jesus in her bad days because he's always faithful. Our homes have to be Eden, and we come together to conquer what's out there. The moment one of us allows sin and the enemy to run rampant, it doesn't just affect one person. That whole household is affected. The enemy comes in to steal, kill, and destroy always. How do you create Eden? You talk without judgment. You say how you feel without the other person condemning and judging you. That's where safety is built. Your, your kids should be able to come to you and know that your arms are open regardless of their struggle or what they're carrying. That's how you build Eden. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3, I'm going to... I want to read the story about Elijah. We often hear Elijah when he, you know, <laughs> had fire come from heaven. And there was basically, I'll just give you a, a, you know, a synopsis of what is happening in chapter 18. It's a chapter before the one I'm about to read. But in chapter 18, there is basically a standoff with the gods or with the prophets of Baal, which is their god, and Elijah. And the, they basically, there's no rain. And so Elijah's like, call down to your god and see if it rains. And if your god is real, he's going to show up and he's going to consume your offering. And so really what happened is they were doing their chants and they were doing all kinds of rituals and nothing was happening. And all of their prophets were doing this for hours and hours. And then Elijah came and he said, God, show up, essentially. This is very, very paraphrased. And God consumed the water that Elijah had and the offering. He consumed it all. And then Elijah went and killed all those people. And then three years, the heavens were shut. And then God sent rain. So Elijah, a prophet of God, just witnessed the supernatural. After that moment, Jezebel comes and she says, I'm going to kill you. And then we read in verse 3, if you can just pull it up. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. This is a man of God. This is a man who witnessed miracles. And the moment Jezebel came in, said, I'm going to kill you. Just like I killed all the other prophets. He ran into hiding and he begged God to kill him. No one is exempt from feeling like that. There's several things that happen with Elijah in this moment. 
he goes, and I'm just, for the sake of time, I'm just going to tell the story, but I'd encourage you to read it, but it's found in 1 Kings 19. But he goes and he says, God, kill me. Just kill me. It's too much. I can't handle it. And he goes and he falls asleep. And an angel of the Lord wakes him up and says, Elijah, eat and drink. He eats, he drinks, he goes back to bed. Wakes him, angel wakes him up again, eat and drink, because we got to go on a journey. They go on a journey, and then Elijah hides in a cave. And God comes to Elijah, and he's like, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I'm alone, and everybody has died, and everyone has turned against God, and I'm alone. And it goes on to say, I think it's verse 19, that eventually God tells um, Elijah that you're not alone. There's 7,000 other prophets that haven't bowed to Baal. And there's a few key things that I want to point out in Elijah. He was manipulated by Jezebel. He was exhausted. He ran in fear for his life. He was lonely. He was isolated. He was depressed. And God shows up in this moment. The Bible actually goes in and talks about how he was expecting God to show up in an earthquake and in the wind. And God doesn't show up in either of those, but he shows up in a small voice. And sometimes that's how God shows up in our lives. And, you know, often, and I want to just highlight a few different things. When we ourselves are going through something, trauma, mental ill health, whatever it is, we, if you've been in the church at all, you hear the term the Jezebel spirit. And all that really is is a narcissist, sociopathic, manipulative spirit. It's somebody who's trying to control you. And we have terms for that now, but that's essentially what it is. And the, the Bible actually tells us that when we are trying to control something, we partner with the devil. When you are manipulating a situation to get a certain outcome, you partner up with the enemy. And we see it in the religious context. We've seen it. I, you see it in marriages that I'm going to have silent treatment that I'm going to create a chaotic environment to gain attention. Why? Because I'm trying to control the outcome. You're partnering up with the enemy, and it's very much what Lucifer did with Eve in the garden. Did God really say? Did you know that you could be like God? He's trying to craft and manipulate something to get a certain result. Because how God works is God is a God of freedom and free will and free choice. He is never going to try to manipulate you and coerce you into believing something. No, you encounter him and he changes you. That's how God works. And so we see that and we may have people in our lives that are like that. Maybe you are like that. And you have to release your control because you are not in control. That's a new age pattern of thinking that I'm a little God, I'm in control, I'm going to manifest, and I'm going to do all this stuff. You don't have that much control. You have a lot, but not that much. You have to yield to God. You have to partner with God. You don't try to manipulate a search, certain situation to get what you want. 
Elijah felt the results of being manipulated, and it brought a tremendous fear and depression to a point he wanted to die. He had all of these things. A few other things when it comes to mental illness, and I'm going to kind of wrap up and go into the next section, but a few other things that trigger mental illness is hypocrisy. Is when I say one thing but live another. When I'm presenting a certain thing on social media or when I come to church or when I go with people, but internally I'm struggling so much. We start allowing our brain to split into all these different personalities. That's how you can see people do evil things and then go and present themselves like they're caring for the world. This is a mental illness. Another way that we see is when we have a set of values and we know we should be doing certain things, but we're not doing them. Whether it's in a work scenario, then we start splitting that off. And that brings a lot of distress because you are not aligning with the things that you value. Another way that we feel triggered with self-worth and things like that is when we don't keep our word to ourselves. When we say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be this, I'm going to make these choices, and we don't do it, we have disappointment in ourselves, and that starts eating at our self-worth. Because we're supposed to live a life of character and integrity. What gives me self-worth is not what I do that people are watching. It's what I do when people are not watching. What gives me strength and value is not singing about the God that I know, but actually going into the secret place with the God that I know. What gives me freedom is being the same everywhere. So the second portion, and okay, I'm going to try to go faster. I'm sorry. Are you guys okay? Is this helping anybody? Okay. All right. So I'm going to go to the next section here. Now that we know all these things that trigger us, I want to bring you to Psalms chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. We can pull that up. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? When it comes to overcoming anything, there's a part that we don't like. And it's, it's called the great tension. No one can do it for you. No one can heal for you. No one can walk in health but you. No one can choose life but you. And there is this tension because we are trained to avoid discomfort. Oh, are you feeling bad? Here, have a cookie. You done it? I've done it with my kids. We train our children when they throw a temper tantrum. Oh, here, you can have it. And really, unknowingly, we are training them 
to be uncomfortable with being stretched. We're training them to numb and to feel better. Oh, you've had a rough day. Girl, you need a drink. Let's numb you out. Oh, I know that you're having a hard time. You really need that Xanax. It's going to make you feel better. We numb, 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 numb. And often unknowingly, we sabotage our destiny by constantly living in comfort. The enemy of your greatness, of your destiny, is comfort, 100%. We don't like to talk about God of the tension. We like the God of blessing. We like the God of favor. We like the God of victory. But we don't want to talk about God of the wilderness. We don't want to talk about the wrestle and the struggle. You know, we, we see this a lot, and in, in part of maturing is, is not that, it, it's not an age thing. Maturity is having emotional restraint. It's having responsible reactions and reasonable responses. That's maturing. And we don't want to be uncomfortable because discomfort demands maturity. And we see this a lot, and I'm just going to talk about it. It's in Genesis 32, but it's the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob wanted the blessing, the birthright. And he came, he, he was making porridge, and Esau came, and he traded his birthright and his blessing for a bowl of porridge because he was hungry. How many times have we traded our destiny for some comfort? How many times have we done things for comfort instead of God's way? And we've sabotaged the blessing in our lives. And, it's, and the crazy thing with Jacob is he got the blessing. He got the birthright. But if you follow his life, and I would recommend you read it, he had trial after trial. He, had, he was in conflict with Esau. He was betrayed by his father-in-law. He was deceived. All these things followed him. And then there was a moment in Genesis 32, verse 25, where Jacob wrestled with God. And he wrestled with an angel, and he said, I won't let you go until you bless me, to the point that his hip got disjointed and out of its socket, and he walked with a limp after that encounter with God. We like to talk about the God of the blessing. What about the God of the wrestle? There are moments where we have to wrestle against our flesh, and we say, I love this sin, and I love this comfort, but Jesus, I love you more. I take one step back, maybe, and two steps forward. Sometimes it's two steps back, but I have to give it in and, and take a step forward. Moses, after he killed the Egyptian, he went through what? The desert. Do you know how, do you know that he would have never been able to lead the Israelites to the, to, out of Egypt had he not walked through that desert? He learned a lot about the desert to lead four million people through it. If you want God to use you, you have to be willing to go through a desert, to be tempted and tried, to be uncomfortable and stretched. Jesus, 40 days and 40 nights, he was tempted by the devil. 
and he was fasting. Only after that did he start ministering and healing the sick and casting out devils. You will never know the God of the blessing until you know the God of the desert and the God of the wilderness. You will never see breakthrough until you meet God in that place of wrestling and no one can do it for you. No preacher, no pastor, no leader. It's not a prayer. It's your own personal wrestle with God that I love you more than my sin. God, I love you and I choose to trust you in in hell and in chaos, I still trust you. Even when everything around me is going to pieces, I still trust you. I will not turn my back on you. You will not be able to help people. You will not have authority in areas that you haven't walked in. I cannot tell you about the power of God if I've never encountered it. I cannot tell you what that is like unless I have lived it. I have lived through a lot of wrestle. I've had a lot of trauma, a lot. And there were moments that I thought I'd never be okay. I was suicidal, I had PTSD. So many things I won't even go into. And the crazy thing is when people meet me, they wouldn't, and they hear any aspect of my story, they're shocked by it. And I'm not saying this to make myself look good, but I'm saying I know the God of the wilderness. That is the liberation power of Jesus. And we are going to everybody else but Jesus. And we wonder why our churches are filled with mentally ill people who cannot live through life because we're teaching them about the God of the blessing, but not the God of the wilderness. My wilderness, I fasted and I prayed. We don't want to fast because it's uncomfortable. No, it's a stripping away of all that you are because you need Jesus to step in. Jesus fasted. There's principles there's things that work. You know, when the apostles went to go cast out devils out of a boy, they couldn't do it. And Jesus said, this comes by prayer and fasting. It's not the fasting that casts out the devil. The fasting destroys you so you can hear God, so your spirit can be aligned with heaven, so you can hear clearly what's going to happen, what you need to do. The fasting is to deplete yourself of you and let God in. That's what I did. I had so many things. And believe me, I did all kinds of manifesting. And I didn't manifest a billion dollars, but you know, whatever. But I'm serious. I went all in because I was going to be healed. And I was going to do all this stuff. And yeah, I did, I did all right. But I was not free. And I so badly wanted freedom. I became desperate enough. And I went into a fast. And I hadn't fasted, I don't know, in a long time. And I remember, and this went on for three weeks, I was seeking God's presence. And I will never forget, this was three years ago, the moment in my living room when the presence of God came and I met the God of the wilderness. And he freed me. And he keeps doing deeper layers because that is the God we serve. You are not called to stay crippled. 
in your mental illness. He wants to free you out of it. He wants to show up as the God in the brokenness. He's not just the God of the mountaintops. He's the God of the value and valleys. And when you know him there, when you meet him on the bathroom floor, when you meet him in your trial and in your pain and in your mental issues, he shows up in a way that's undeniable. So when he pulls you out and he gives you blessing, you can handle it because you know that it was he who did it. So I'm going to wrap up. And, and there's so many other things, and Psalms is full of that. David understood the God of the valley. And that's when God exalted him in such a place of kingship and gave him so much favor because David was faithful in the valley. He warred with God. I just feel that if you are going through something, don't give up. Don't give up. So how do we stay in that place of overcoming? We know our triggers. I know the things that trigger me, and I've learned them so well. And just a practical thing that we can do is, you know, I made a list of when I was at my best, when I feel my best, what are the things that I'm doing? And then I always go back to this list when I feel like I'm not in a good place. So for example, my list was when I'm walking with the Lord closely, when I don't have sin in my life, when I'm at peace with my relationships with people, when I am careful about what I allow in my life, when I'm exercising, when I'm eating well, when my children are doing well, when I have a routine in my life. You know, I made, so this is just some things on my personal list. I have a list of everything that I, when I'm feeling the strongest and the best. And so when I'm out of whack, or when I'm going through something stressful, or I feel my mental health is not doing well, I go back to that list. And I'm like, what am I doing? And I've learned that list very well to a point where I'm like, okay, I, I've, I've taken on more than I can chew, and it's bringing stress. This is not a good place for me. What can I remove? Or, oh, there is this situation going on. This is why I'm not feeling well. Oh, I haven't been eating well. I've been eating sugar and, and whatever, white bread or whatever it is, and I've recognized this makes me feel awful. So I, I, I've become really good at recognizing it quickly. And it's just a practical tool that we can use. If you ever have a moment where you felt the most alive and the most joyful, what were you doing to feel those things? And I would definitely go back to that list. So I want to just close with a few things. Two scriptures, Philippians 4.8. It trains us how to think. Because, as I mentioned earlier, with trauma or with negativity or whatever it is that brings us to a place of mental ill health, it's all about our thought process. We can rewire our brain with the way that we think. 
When we think a certain way over and over and over again, it becomes ingrained, and we start suffocating under that thought, and our brain actually restructures, and we create different neuropathways in our brain. So in order to heal those, we have to think differently. And Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, think about these things. It's important how we think and what we allow in our lives. And, you know, just with David and Saul, like Saul was tormented by a demonic spirit, and I've had moments like that. But when David would play worship, it shut that spirit up. If we're struggling mentally, what are we doing? Turning the news is not going to help you. But worshiping Jesus, the devil can't stand it. And especially when you join in, you're shutting that demon up. You're shutting that thing off because it doesn't have authority in worship. Worship is so powerful. I'm going to read another passage, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Strongholds, it's something that has a hold on you that's strong. Okay? That means something you cannot seem to overcome. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself above against the knowledge of God. Sorry. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The devil's tactics are the same. Did God really say? Look at what's going on in your life. God doesn't love you. God is not going to answer you. You will always have this struggle. This is the devil. Call it for what it is, and you subject that to the word of God. I am more than a conqueror, the Bible says. He will lead me to paths of righteousness and besides still waters. You start quoting that scripture out loud in your room. I did this a lot. We have to pull down strongholds by every thought. Take it captive immediately. The best way to overcome trauma is move through it as quickly and swiftly as you can. Because the longer you're in it, the harder it is to climb out. And even if you've been in a state of trauma for a long time, give yourself grace and patience. How long did it take you to get there? Give yourself at least that amount of time to get out, okay? Have grace and patience with yourself. But you have to fill yourself with the word of God. You cannot pull down strongholds and lies from the enemy if you don't know the counteraction word. How are you going to argue with that when you don't know it? Why is our culture and even the church believing the lies from the enemy? And we're powerless, we're defeated, we're depressed, we're toxic, we're this, we're that, we're sick. Why? We do not know the word. We're obsessed with motivational speaking, but we don't know the God who heals the sick anymore. The God who has given us the power to pull down strongholds. It 
This morning, I'm going to open it up for prayer. And sometimes it's a lot, and we don't know. And when you're wrapped in it, sometimes you don't have the strength to, to do that. And you just need someone to pray over you and break that thing off in Jesus' name. Did you know that Jesus healed more mental illness than physical illness? That's how much he cares. He cares. A lot of our mental struggles are because we have rebelled against God. And we've pushed God away in anger or disappointment. And when we, in the same way that we push God away, we open ourselves up to the devil. And we open and, and create ways where he can run rampant in our homes, in our thoughts, in our minds, in our lives. Because there's a humility to be like, God, I'm, I'm mad, but I need you. The moment I started stepping into freedom, because I was so numbed out, and apathy is a sign of trauma. When you feel nothing, that's a sign of trauma. And I was like that. And I was mad at God, and I felt justified in my anger. But I didn't know that by being angry, I robbed myself of allowing him to free me. And I only stepped into freedom when I realized that. True freedom. And there was a moment, and we really should talk about struggles on the pulpit more, but there was a moment I'll never forget. And I was, I was going through such a dark time. And I literally... I know it sounds crazy to say, but the truth is I heard demons in my head. They were so loud. I couldn't sleep. They were like, I, I, there is such a thing as the demonic, okay? There is oppression. A lot of mental illness is of the devil 100%, okay? God brings purity. God brings peace. God brings tranquility. Those are the things of God. Things that are contrary to God are of the devil. It's really simple. Call a spade a spade. You can name it and claim it, whatever you want to do with it, but it ultimately is the devil, okay? So there was definitely that going on. And, like, I just felt crazy. I wasn't sleeping. I was going through a lot of whatever, trauma things, and, and I was just really living in hell, and I just wanted to die, and I, I, I just had so, so much. And I remember... I finally got to a place where I asked people in the church to come and pray. And they came to my house, anointed it with oil, and they just started commanding things to get out of my house. And, they, and that was the first night in eight months that I slept. And sometimes we need somebody to pray over us or pray with us that has walked with the Lord and understands freedom. We don't want to talk about the devil and darkness because we don't understand it. And it's been maybe manipulated and twisted, but that's what the enemy wants. He doesn't want you to recognize when he's at work because he wants power over you. He wants to distract you and distort and destroy. 
but there is a war that we're waging, as I read. It's not how the world wages. We pull down strongholds by the word of God. And so if you feel like this morning you were like me all those years ago, struggling, and you need somebody to pray for you, you know, I'm just believing that God is going to start breaking strongholds in this house this morning. A trapped church that is not free cannot do a whole lot out there. So if you want to just take time, I don't know if um, you want to sing. I'm going to just pray first. And then if you need prayer, I'm just going to lay hands on you. And I'm going to pray over you. Because I know that God moves like that. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just speak to every darkness, every trouble, every depression, every stress, every struggle. I command you to bow down at the name of Jesus. You have no place in this house, in thoughts, in families, in hearts. And I just pray right now that the love of Jesus overwhelms every person here. that if we've opened doors in our lives through our rebellion, through sin, through anger and bitterness, that if we've allowed the enemy in, the, in our lives through those things, we just repent and we ask your forgiveness. Then we turn away from that. God, move in our hearts. Soften our hearts. People who feel numb. God, give them a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. People who are feeling overwhelmed. I just pray that your peace floods them, Jesus. Jesus.